As usual, I asked our guest Scott Pianeski to pound the table for some of this offseason. Scott, who you pounded the table for? Well, I'm, I hope this doesn't become too trendy because I, I want my rosters to reflect my affection for this player. But, man, Terry McLaurin just seems like he's in a perfect setup. He's into his third season. We've seen him produce with very ordinary quarterback play. And, and although, look, Ryan Fitzpatrick is a quarterback with some pluses and some minuses, but I think he's going to be a really good fit for McLaurin. I'm expecting a spike to the point that I think he's going to be a top five, top six receiver, and I'm going to draft him certainly as a top 10 receiver. And right now, I still think that's ahead of his ADP. I'm with you. I love Terry McLaurin, everything he brings to that offense and with Fitzpatrick. So fantastic. Everyone, listen to Scott. Go get you some Terry McLaurin. Now let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the most accurate podcast. I am your humble host, Brandon Niles. My co-host today is president of the Rodrigo Blankenship fan club, Jen Akins. What's up, Jen? Hey, how's it going? How's everyone doing? I am actually... um, It's funny. I actually just... Got back from taking my son to, um, he actually read to the animals at a shelter, which I thought was really cool. They have this little program where um, they go in and bring a book of their choosing and they sit down and they read to the animals, which I thought was really Aww. cool. Yeah, he got to read to some little kittens and little puppies, which I thought was really cute. Um, but speaking of puppies, uh, Underdog, they just released the puppy too, which is kind of exciting because, um, the, the, you know, the original $5 uh, Underdog. Uh, puppy tournament filled so now there's a puppy too um and right now at four for four um for those of you that have not taken it care or taken advantage of this yet um still offering the ridiculous deal deposit 10 bucks in, in an underdog account they will give you 25 bucks to play and you get a free four for four subscription for the season which is pretty ridiculous i don't really know how anybody makes money on that but uh you do <laughs> so go ahead and do it that's awesome. Yeah, just use the promo code 4 for 4 I'm lucky to have two co-hosts today. Chris has dropped by as well. He's going to hang back, but he's got some content to fill in at the end. Wanted to say hi real quick. Chris, how you doing, buddy? Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm glad to at least get to sit in and listen to the wonderful Scott Pianowski talk about auctions and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, uh, happy to be here. And uh, But yeah, I'll let you guys take over for the rest of the show. Excellent, Chris. As uh, we all mentioned, we're super excited to have one of my all-time favorite fantasy writers, Scott Pianowski, on the podcast today. You can find Scott everywhere, but especially on Yahoo Sports, where he's been since 2008. He's an FSWA award winner, host of the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. You can follow Scott on Twitter, at Scott underscore Pianowski, and you should definitely add as much Scott as you can into your life. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, by the way, if we wanted to pivot to what Jen was talking about, reading the animals, which just combines two, two of my <laughs> My favorite things reading and animals um i don't i don't care if we talk about for that for 55 minutes and then squeeze in five minutes of football so i'll, I'll, I'll leave that to your discretion but uh, i'm excited to be here talking with you guys today i love it i like the idea of like animals different animals having different genre debates like i imagine turtles love horror that's what i imagine it's just the thing um <laughs> scott i, I want to chat informally today about your history in the industry how fantasy football content creation and absorption has changed dramatically in the two plus decades you've been in it uh but but first i want to talk a little about auction leagues uh we don't talk about it much on this show but i'm, I'm really enjoying your shuffle up series on yahoo sports right now i read the tie end article and the quarterback article that you've got up i'm looking forward to the other positions uh can you tell me how you're approaching the quarterback position now uh as you put it patrick mahomes has company as one of the big ticket players uh, specifically in auction formats are you paying up at quarterback how are you approaching it well it used to be that i was certainly and i'm not alone in this strategy i used to be one of the guys who just go cheap in a one quarterback mm-hmm. league i would often be the last person to draft one or the person who would put the lowest amount of draft capital 
towards the position thinking there will be answers on the waiver wire if I need them. I can stream if I need to. And now because there's enough dual threat quarterbacks and enough quarterbacks with high ceilings in the league, I want to have a quarterback on my roster who I can see as a plausible top 10, top 5 quarterback. It doesn't mean I have to have Mahomes or Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen, but I would like to buy, ideally, I'd like to buy somebody in maybe the second tier who I could see being a top tier quarterback. Last year, maybe Kyler Murray would have been that guy. I think this year, Russell Wilson is interesting now that he's kind of, he's an old, boring player now. He's been around for a while, (laughs) doesn't run as proactively as he used to. And I think a lot of people have gotten sick of just watching that Seattle offense. I mean, last year, Wilson was great for about half of a season for fantasy, and then he really didn't play well down the stretch for a lot of different reasons. The shape of the offense didn't help. Tyler Lockett was dinged up. DK Metcalf didn't have a great second half. But I still see a lot of upside with Wilson. He's somebody who I can see drafting. I'm open to maybe taking Justin Herbert, depending on what the price is like. The bottom line is this. Everybody's going to walk out of their draft probably thinking that they like their quarterbacks. But Mm -hmm. I'd like to imagine that my quarterback could be a top five guy. And also, whenever I set up a league, and we've seen, we're we're at a golden age now of different formats, right? I mean, the Scott Fishbowl just happened, and that's a format that just warps your brain. And it makes all (laughs) sorts of different position uh, valuations and roster builds viable. When I set up a league, I love to set up a quarterback uh, super flex league so that every good quarterback, every starting quarterback is taken, and we, we have to care about oh, who is the Broncos quarterback or is Sam Darnold look good in Carolina. Those are questions you may not ask yourself for the quarterback position in a standard league, but to me, super flex is a, a more challenging way to play. It just makes the draft more interesting and more dynamic, and that's, I mean, that's one reason why I like the auction format so much. It's no more of this, oh, I didn't get the number one pick, so Christian McCaffrey doesn't even exist in my world. If you're in an auction mm-hmm. format, or as we call it, Yahoo, a salary cap format, you can have any player on your team. You could have three of the five best players in fantasy if you want. If you're willing to absorb the hit, you would take it the second part of your roster. But uh, you know, a wide-ranging answer to get back to specifically what you asked me about, I think I'd like to draft somebody, a quarterback in the top 8, 10, 12 of ADP, who I can tell myself a story that he could be a top five quarterback. Sure. Um, you know, you brought up uh, the idea that McCaffrey being uh, more in your you know range of vision in an auction league, despite not having the number one pick. I'm really interested in that and like auction strategies in general. Um, do you do that? Do you uh, find your McCaffreys and go get your guys? Or uh, how do you approach planning when you go into an auction draft? Do you have like positional goals or individual targets? Um, how do you approach it uh, pregame, you know? It's interesting because for a long time, I was probably more agnostic than most people when it came to that type of league where I would go where the room take took me and I would try to find value in the pocket of the actual experience. And so I'd wind up with teams and, and say to myself, how did I get here? Did these even players that I was interested in? Oh, yeah, because I thought this guy was $7 under market or I saw a similar player go for a lot more in a different time. And by, by the way, if you ever read auction content, keep in mind, you see an expert league runs that format. So much of what the prices will come out as, they're, they're so dependent on when things happen, the timing. If two people save their money and have too much money late and there's one good player left, you could see a player go for a ridiculous price. And then sometimes early in an auction, I don't know, people not comfortable in their chair yet. They don't want to spend their money early. Sometimes the, the greatest time to, to spend is early on. It, it really depends. It's all situational. It's all contextual. But just understand that those prices a lot of times can be misleading because they, they don't make sense because the... It's a story told out of order, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's not like in a draft where it's like, okay, the first round comes and here are nine running backs and here's Travis Kelsey and here are three, two or three receivers. The first player nominated in your auction could be Rodrigo Blankenship if somebody wants to go that route. I don't know if that's off the window, out the window now with with Wentz, uh, you know, his foot being broken or whatever it is. But 
somebody may nominate the Tampa Bay defense. I mean, whatever it is, somebody may nominate Joe Burrow first. I mean, you can go any route you want. It's, so it's like you know, Quentin Tarantino is in charge of your league. It's it can be told out, of, and that's actually one of my favorite things to do: nominate, you know, nominate a handcuff running back before the starter, or just nominate Ooh, somebody who doesn't okay. make sense, just to, to test the the metal of the people in the room and, and to, to get people to be thinking about what they want to do. Ideally, what I want in all of my fantasy leagues, no matter what the format is, is I want one running back I can hang my hat on. I want somebody who's a no-doubt starter, a no-doubt top 10, preferably top 5 running back. And, and I realize after McCaffrey and Cook, there's a lot of disagreement about who that third running back is. Some people would say Kamara. Some people would say Ezekiel Elliott. There are people who would take Barkley in that spot. I, I'm not one of them, but um, maybe I'll change my mind by the end of the summer. Derrick Henry, of course, with that workload that he doesn't catch passes. I want to have one running back I can hang my hat on. After that, I like to have a really dynamic receiver room, and and I like to have three or four receivers. I I like my third and fourth receiver to be better than everybody else's third and fourth receiver, even if I don't technically have the best receiver in football. And I'll also admit, um, I talked to TJ Hernandez yesterday, uh, 4 for 4 stalwart, and and I've seen a lot of the stuff that Jen's done on Twitter, and and I'm open-minded to the idea that Maybe I've been wrong on tight end. I've been generally a, a bargain shopper at tight end. And, and after mm-hmm. watching what Travis Kelsey has done for several seasons, and then specifically last year, he just had a career year at a time when the tight end position overall was, was so god ugly. And, mm-hmm. and you'd see these stats that the difference between Kelsey and the number three tight end was like the same as the number three tight end and like the number 57 tight end or something like that. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the gap was just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think. You at least have to be open-minded to taking a vanity tight end, whether whether it's it's Kittle, whether whether it's uh, it's Kelsey, whether it's Darren Waller. Uh, I've seen some people be aggressive with Kyle Pitts. I don't think I'm going to be one of those guys, but at least I understand why people are doing it. Still, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, I'm not sure I'm going to pull the trigger on that. But I just want to say that I respect a lot of the arguments that are being made. Again, TJ made a lot of those points. I've I've seen Jen make some of those points. My uh, colleague on the Yahoo, uh, not on the Yahoo podcast, on the um, Breakfast Table podcast, Michael Salfino, he's a big proponent that you should be taking Travis Kelsey in the first round anytime you can. I get that. My com- my most common build, though, is going to be the anchors away running back, the, the one running back I can hang my hat on, and then I'm going to probably stock up on receivers. That's become the build I've been most comfortable with. That makes a ton of sense. And, uh, you, you know, you mentioned different leagues being uh, meaning something different, the valuations that you read about. Uh, also, uh, listeners, keep an eye on those team names because, you know, uh, Dak for life. Dak Prescott's probably going a little higher in your in your league <laughs> than what the, what the ratings say. Um, Jen, I know you've got some auction leagues that you play in, and uh, Scott was talking about your approach to the tight end position. I know we've talked about on this podcast before, uh, when you're drafting early, uh, first, second, third, you'll often go tight end with your second pick. Uh, do you have a similar approach to tight end and auction uh, drafts and anything you want to comment on based on Scott's approach? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people, when they do auctions, or, you know, a thing you hear a lot of is the stars and scrubs thing. You know, you'll spend, you know, big money on a couple guys and then you kind of wait for the end. I'm usually that person. Um, I think I was telling you guys this recently, but the one auction that, I, that, that I've been in for, for several years is a league where, um, I've noticed over the years it's the same pattern. Everyone drinks a lot, and they kind of just kind of it's, – it's haywire from the beginning. And I just sit back, and I let them all spend all their money, and then I scoop up everybody else. Because the thing is with auctions, it's like people will – you know, like Scott was saying, sometimes they'll nominate a random, and sometimes – but like in this league, you know, specifically, people will kind of nominate maybe the top few of each position, and then people will just go at it and spend all this money, and there's so much value left over, so many players that are still there – 
um, that people just forget about, you know, like it's, for example, like last year, it's like Stefan Diggs, you know, people, it's like, he, I think I got it for like two bucks, you know, it's like people just kind of forget about those wow. after, you, after you get past those first couple wide receivers and those first couple running backs. Uh, but yeah, when it comes to tight end, I, you know, in, in redraft, I am going to try to get one of the top three. I think auction, it really just depends. I think it's one of those things where, yes, I would love to get um, either either Kelsey or Waddle. I'm not huge on Kittle this year, but, you know, I guess we would see. But it really just depends on what ends up happening money-wise. You know, I'm not going to sacrifice the rest of my draft just to get Kelsey and pay a ridiculous amount of money for him. But I would like to have him because... You know, like Scott was saying, the, the, the difference between those tiers is so massive, and it's so nice to just kind of sit back with Kelsey on your roster and know you, don't, you A, don't have to take another tight end for the entire draft because you'll just deal with the bye week or whatever later. Uh, it's just it's nice to kind of have that in your pocket and know that you – because the thing with Kelsey is I think – I'm trying to remember. I just – I wrote something on him yesterday. I think he was like eighth overall in um, – in like non-quarterback fantasy points last year. I could be wrong, though. But, uh, you know, so it's like he's almost like a wideout as far as his, his actual output. And it's kind of crazy not to grab that and just tuck that position away and then move on. But um, if he gets ridiculously pricey, then I will back away because I don't want to, you know, sacrifice the rest of my positions. And like Scott said as well, it's nice to have a nice receiving core. It's nice to know that you can count on every one of those guys. If you can get three top 20, you know, wideouts, you're set. So I wouldn't sacrifice my, you know, financially to get Kelsey, but um, Kelsey and Waller are definitely targets of mine in auction if the price is right. I want to piggyback the one thing Jen said. She talked about her league where the spending Jen tends to be furious early and there's Mm -hmm. also a lot of drinking going on. It's this isn't nothing, no rule is universal, but I found this to be often correct that when a league first switches to this format, say a league's been drafting for a while and they say, okay, we're going to try auction this year. Usually, the early spending in those leagues is like college freshmen with their first credit card. (laughs) Is like college freshmen with their first credit card. And by the way, when I first got my, I'm sure I maxed that out in like two or three days. Uh huh. Just, you know, going out drinking and buying every CD I could in the greater Boston area. Or buying, back... food, at the, buying food at the gas station. That's what we yeah, used to do. Yeah. Right. That's also a shout out to, uh, <laughs> to Reality Bites, right? Where Winona Ryder ran yep. out of money and all she had was a credit card. So she started buying people's purchases to raise cash. Yep. Um, you know, that's <laughs> a movie that's 26 years ago that like half your audience has probably never seen. But uh, Singles is better than Reality Bites. But Reality Bites I like is worth seeing once. I like them both too. I think Singles just has better music, and Cameron Crowe's just a better storyteller, but than than maybe than Ben Stiller is. But still, <laughs> both worth seeing. And you know, if you're ever in a pinch, uh, a credit card and a gas station may be your way out of that. But try to. I have so much to say. We need to do another episode on Reality Bites. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold it in, but I have a lot to say. Oh, I'll be ready for that. Um, I, I wish they would have let. Ethan Hawke swear when he when he sings "Add It Up" when he's really mad at Winona Ryder and he belts out right? a great version of "Add It Up." And uh, they tame it down because I think they wanted a PG-13 audience. That just needed a little bit more violent femmes bite there. But Couldn't if, agree with you more. If you're stepping into this auction, <laughs> just one thing to be aware of early on is what what's, what does the spending habits seem to be? Do people Are people throwing their money around? Is there Are five or six people challenging and contesting bids at the end? Or does it seem like more, okay, two people are pairing off, they slug it out for a while, and then that's that. Um, and if, if you think everybody's spending early, I probably would lay back. Although, also remember, if everybody's totally, totally crazy with their pricing and you 
buy a player who maybe is a little bit overpriced compared to the crazy pricing that you see. That isn't the worst thing in the world. The absolute worst thing in the world in an auction is to save your money for too long and then find out there's no good players left to get and find out, oh yeah, I saved my money and I spent 25 bucks on McCole Hardman. That, that's not going to feel good. But <laughs> and, and, and you're leaving money on the table is the ultimate walk of shame in an auction. But just try to get a sense of where you think your room is headed and what is motivating people. And also one of the simplest also nomination strategies, this is so obvious, not only, you want to vary your nominations. Don't don't always be the person who throws out a player you want. I, I've auctioned with some people who do that, and you can just play with them because you, you know that they, they want a player and they'll chase him. And But also, if you always nominate players you don't want, which is often a good strategy to do some of the time, just don't do it all of the time because then you become predictable as well. But also one of the cheap hacks is that if, say, you bought Travis Kelsey, and your nomination was up, you, you might as well put Waller or Kittle on the board because they don't make sense to your team anymore. And you, you do want your opponents to spend money. So if you filled a position, a onesie position, if you already have Lamar Jackson, you might as well throw Allen out there, Mahomes out there, Dak Prescott out there, whatever, because they're not going to fit your roster shape. That's great advice. Chris, did you have anything to add on uh, auction strategies? I would say that the only other add-in that um, I would, uh, I guess I would toss on to the, just the, the litany of great, uh, I guess, advice that Scott and Jen have thrown out so far is that for folks that are just getting into auctions, it's difficult to try and figure out, well, what is that value? How do you convert value from, let's say, a typical snake draft over to auctions, right? There's really no really like one-to-one way to look at, it, especially considering you can have just like the different formats, like what your budget's going to be, so on and so forth. Uh, this is where I would think that using some sort of like tiered structure to uh, like tiered approach to valuing uh, each position would be useful so that let's say for the quarterback position, for example, that's typically what I write about. We know that at least the four, let's say the top, let's say six to eight quarterbacks, like those guys are pretty much going to align into uh, maybe like maybe one or two tiers, like Mahomes, Josh Allen, Kyler, like, you know, Lamar, those guys might be in there. They're one tier, maybe two tiers. But then afterwards, like we know, like where those guys are going to be like towards the top. But then afterwards, you can kind of break out the Tom Brady's, the Jalen Hurts, the Ryan Tannehill's into a separate till. Maybe not Jalen Hurts now with all the stuff going on with Devonta Smith. But there are ways that you can kind of break down like each uh, group of quarterbacks into their own category. And from there, you can assign dollar values to those. And you can kind of watch as your league starts to value each of those quarterbacks. You can figure, all right, well, if let's say uh, Josh Allen is going for this much and I think he's up here in like tier two, okay, well then if I wait a little bit longer and I try and let's say aim for Ryan Tannehill, Matthew Stafford, well then they should be X amount less than those guys. And so it becomes a little bit easier for you to figure out how much you can budget or allocate like towards that position later on in the draft versus saying, oh, well, I see all these guys spending up in order to get Lamar, Dak, Kyler, so on and so forth. And then, but I need to go ahead and start spending on Dak, or I need to try and find to get Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson. There are ways that you can arbitrage some of that, like through uh, through exact dollar amounts later on in the draft, versus just trying to, I guess, go with the flow. And because in snake drafts. Once that quarterback run starts happening, you really do have to make that decision if you're going to go with the flow and wind up drafting one of those quarterbacks or trying to figure out, well, do I want to go with Kirk Cousins or Tua or Derek Carr or any one of those guys that are going later. So I think it becomes a little bit easier if you use that tiered approach in order to figure out how much you're going to spend at that particular position if you if you go about it that way. Let me jump in here and say one other very key, I hope I can describe this 
in a pliable, portable way. One critical thing in this format is you need to try to buy players to roster players when your opponents still have alternatives. Because if you get stuck bidding on the last good player in a tier, this probably wouldn't happen to quarterback in a traditional league because there's just so many options, but it happens at running back, it happens at receiver, it can certainly happen at tight end. If it's obvious that there's one you know, pseudo bell cow, pseudo starter at running back, and like four or five people need that player, you're going to have all sorts of problems rostering that player because there's going to be a lot of pushback and a lot of elbowing. You want to try to assemble your team and be involved, be engaged in bidding at times when your opponents have alternatives. So if it gets to a point where they're not sure what they're going to want to do, they can look at their cheat sheet and say, okay, I still see three or four other guys I'd be happy with, and they may back out. If they look and see, oh my God, this is the last guy I have to have, that's the worst thing you want to, you want to be involved in is a bid that you need to win when there really aren't alternatives left. So you, you want to try to make sure you're rostering players when your opponents still have options because that gives them an excuse mm. to get out of the bidding if there's no yeah. al- perceived alternatives left. And that's why the idea of tiering is so important. Where talent clusters. And you know, in the draft, it's great. If you can be the guy who empties out a tier of the draft, you've done really well. You've played the value game and you've paid the lowest price. So that sounds really good. If you get caught up in an auction format with that, what happens a lot of times is those players, inflation kicks in because people panic. And they're like, oh my God, this is the last good option left. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit of a, of a nuance point. You kind of know it when you see it. Again, I, I can't tell you when this this dynamic in your auction is going to show up. I just know that it does show up. And the people who win, the only thing worse than losing a player in that in that bidding frenzy is sometimes is winning the player because then you just realize your auction <laughs> Has been your, your budget's just been shot to smithereens. Another, th- just one other thing I want to want to throw out there, and this again, it's kind of a nuanced point, and maybe you'll grasp this when this happens, and maybe you won't. You're in an auction, you're going back and forth with a player, with an opponent for a player that you both want. At one point, you may realize, you know, if I back out now and I let Smitty have this player, all of a sudden they're out of money. They're down to one dollar bids, or this would be the last good player they can buy. Sometimes. I'll walk away from a nomination that isn't even at a bad price because I'm like, you know what? I think it's going to hurt that that opponent so much because just all of a sudden they're down to dollar players. They're out of my hair for the rest of the day. Sometimes I'll just walk away. It's like a basketball player conceding a layup. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to try to stop this layup. I may commit a foul. Just let them have it and mm-hmm. feel that you're going to be in a better situation. If some, I, I cannot stand it when somebody who is on the hook for a player that I think is going to screw up their budget and screw up their roster shape. And then somebody bails them out and goes one more. I'm like, why are you doing that? They were actually screwed if they bought that player. So it's not always that easy. Like you're in a room with 10, 11, 12 opponents, whatever it is. I don't know how much time you have. Auctions have a really quick pace to them. And especially if you're new at the format, you may not be comfortable trying to analyze the objectives and where everybody is with their, what their incentive is, what their motivation is. But as you can, try to think about those things. If somebody paints them in a corner with a bad bid, sometimes you just walk away because you're like, you know what? I think I just got rid of one of my opponents because they made a purchase that doesn't make sense for the rest of their team. I love that kind of taking into consideration what your opponents are doing. It's something I often forget to do live. I'm usually, when I do an auction, I've got like three spreadsheets in front of me and I'm, you know, okay, this is what I want on this, on my RB1 and so forth. And I forget often to look at what other 
uh, owner's situation is with their money roll. And uh, it's, it's great advice to do that. Uh, I'm going to put up uh, the links in the show notes for your quarterback and tight end shuffle up articles. Scott, they're great. I recommend them to everybody. Uh, even if you haven't done auction leagues before, maybe you're just kind of wanting to dip into them. <laughs> Folks, 4 for 4 is partnered with Underdog Fantasy, and I, for one, am taking full advantage. I'll be in dozens of leagues by the time the season begins, and I love the best ball format. I can draft a team and then enjoy zero maintenance all season long. No setting lineups, no waivers, no problem. You automatically get maximum points out of your team each week. Right now, we have a screaming good deal. If you deposit $10 at Underdog Fantasy and use the promo code 4 for 4 that's 4-F-O-R-4, you get $25 from Underdog. That's the price of admission to Best Ball Media 2 with $3.5 million in total prizes. And you get a pro subscription to 4 for 4 This is one of the best promos I've seen in my 14 years with 4 for 4 So take advantage. Go sign up today. I want to play a quick mini segment, kind of a pay up, pay down. We've talked about some players that we're targeting, some players uh, that we're not so far. But I want to kind of officially talk about somebody you're paying up for in an auction league. It can be a position or a player and someone uh, that you're kind of looking to to get a bargain on later or paying down for. Uh, Scott, if you're going into an auction league right now, who's somebody you're really targeting and somebody you're not? Um, I guess other than uh, Terry McLaurin. <laughs> yeah, I think I like Nick Chubb more than most people where mm-hmm. there's this perceived notion that Chubb and Kareem Hunt are one and one A. And Hunt's going to have a role, no doubt about that. But Chubb was so much more efficient last year. that the, the Browns, at a time where teams are very nervous about giving running backs second contracts, they've already locked up Chubb for his second contract. And you know, last year he still scored 12 touchdowns in just 12 games and was more efficient as a pass catcher than Kareem Hunt. I, I wonder if... A lot of Kareem Hunt's value is the idea that he came into Kansas City, landed in the perfect spot, and exploded in Andy Reid offense, won a rushing title. I think Kareem Hunt's just a good player. I think Chubb is actually a, a special player. A, Chubb is actually a, a special player. A very good offensive line in Cleveland. This is a team that probably projects to be a playoff team again. Not everybody thinks Nick Chubb is a first-round pick or the similar, what, what the value would be in an auction league. I, I think he is, and he's somebody who... Again, I'm not going to go and say I have to get Nick Chubb no matter what. I mean, if some Cleveland Browns fan is pushing back on me, I, I can walk away from anybody. Sure. But he's somebody who I think I can be proactive on. And and if I bite the bullet and go value a tight end, and, and again, it, it's hard, it's a t- tough time to do it. And there's a lot of great cases being made of why you shouldn't. I'll admit that I fell for what Tyler Higby did late in 2019. And then last year he had trouble getting on the field. Gerald Everett was there. It looked like a mirage. But, man, he hit the... Best month, I think, any tight end's ever had in December. Now Everett's gone. They got Matthew Stafford, who is just, finally Sean McVay has a quarterback he can trust. And you, you know, Goff could make plays in structure. Goff almost never could make a play, it seemed like, when the play broke down. They're not going to have that problem with Stafford. And it's a really narrow usage tree with the Rams, where they have two dynamic receivers. And I'm, Cup and Woods are guys I'd be perfectly happy to roster on a lot of teams if I can. They just lost their bell cow running back. I don't think they have great players behind him. I think this team's going to throw 580 passes. I don't think there's that many players to gobble up targets. I have Tyler Higby right now as tight end seven, probably a little bit ahead of the market. Even if I percolated him down to nine or 10, I still think he's an interesting value. And if I don't end up with McLaurin, I could see myself with a lot of Logan Thomas. I don't want to get too loaded up in that Washington passing game. And I know Thomas mm-hmm. had a late breakout, but I think his understanding of space, a former quarterback, he knows how to get open. I think he's going to be really quickly somebody who connects with Fitzpatrick. So if I'm going more value at tight end, and again, I see the case if you don't want to, 
it's going to be scary when you're up against those Kelsey and Waller teams, you know, maybe even the Mark Andrews and TJ Hawkinson teams. But I see a lot of Higby, and I see a lot of Logan Thomas if they're at reasonable prices, as I expect. Excellent. You know, tight end breaking out late and hanging on later in their careers like Logan Thomas looks like he might do. That's not unusual. Not unusual for tight ends to do that. Uh, Jen, who are you paying up for? Who are you paying down for? Well, we kind of touched on it already. I mean, I, I'm I'm going to pay up for, for either Kelsey or Waller if the price is right. Uh, yeah. I mean, if, if they're, if they're, basically if either of their prices get ridiculous, then I'm going to, I'm going to pivot and probably pay up for, you know, a top wide out. I really like to have, you know, at least, or try to get like at least a top five, top eight wide out on my team. You know, even if it ends up being kind of in the, you know, the Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, Keenan Allen, you know, instead of the, the actual top, top guys, I still would like to have one of those guys on my team. Um, and as far as paying down, um, I kind of like that next, you know, that, that tier of running backs. We're talking like Damian Harris, you know, um, even, well, I was going to say, I guess he doesn't really fit in that, in that realm, but, you know, Michael Carter, Damian Harris, possibly James Robinson. I think those guys are, are guys that people are kind of, I don't know about avoiding, but you know, people that are going to pay up for, you know, the, you know, lead, lead, lead back. You know, these guys are still technically lead backs or we think, you know, expected lead backs in their team, but they're a lot cheaper. So I think that um, if you end up paying up for, say, you know, a tight end or, or an elite wide, wide out, and then, you know, at the end, I think those guys are going to be relatively inexpensive. And so I kind of like the idea of maybe getting one, you know, like Scott was saying, one, you know, solid elite running back. And I think that that next tier, I think a lot of people are scared of that tier. And I think, you know, they'll probably be relatively expensive. So that's kind of what I'm going to be looking for. I'm really interested. Yeah, I, I agree with you on the tight ends uh, to try and come up with a different answer because that's originally what I was thinking <laughs> was to pay up for Waller because uh, I, I Waller is is you know a lot more than all the other tight ends but a lot less than kelsey so mm -hmm. i tend to kind of pay up for waller uh somebody i'm gonna pay up for is jonathan taylor uh with the wentz news people are probably gonna get a little bit scared of the colts offense for very real reasons uh but that offensive line is so good and jonathan taylor was so good at the end of last year you know if his value dips uh you know at all from right now i think his auction values are you know, top seven, top eight. They're in the Aaron Jones, Zeke Elliott, Nick Chubb territory. If he starts costing what Saquon Barkley and Joe Mixon are, are costing, I'm going to definitely pay up for him and be very interested in him. And then I'm paying down for DJ Chark and really anyone in that Jags passing game. I think somebody there is going to be good and you can get all of them pretty cheap. Uh, LaVisca Chenault's getting a little bit more expensive, but generally speaking, uh, those targets over there are going to be a lot cheaper uh, than some of the other potential wide receiver ones and, and top receiving options out there. Uh, Chris, I wanted to ask you about best ball uh, how you're approaching the Jaguars uh, receivers the Jaguars targets we've talked a little about LaVisca uh, but I, I'm curious on underdog what your league count is up to now and how how much uh, how much of that Jaguars offense you're approaching <laughs> uh, my league count oh man especially considering underdog has released the puppy too as of this morning uh, my league count is, we'll just say hi I don't want my wife to. I don't want my wife to hear like my lead count, and then I wind up getting uh, completely taken off of underdog at some point. I mean, who counts anyway, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, this comes yeah. to a point you're in enough leagues. You're, there's no point of counting them, right? Uh, I'll just say that I'm enjoying the new app and everything that underdog is putting out a lot. Uh, we'll and we'll go from there. Uh, but for the Jags specifically, I think that if you look at the way that uh, the way that 
DJ Chark has been at least mentioned by Urban Meyer over the offseason. We know that he needs to take now not a second season leap, uh, which we kind of oh well, which we saw after um, his like his first season, which was completely uh, forgettable, and then now a dip in his third year. But now we're hoping that he can wind up picking it back up. But I see more of a connection w- between Trevor Lawrence and Lavisca Chenault. We already know that Marvin Jones can be more of a valued wi- a value wide receiver, considering he typically goes towards the back half of drafts, and he winds up consistently putting up like wide receiver two numbers, whether it be uh, in Detroit or where have you. I mean, and also his connection uh, to the offensive coordinator there down in uh, down in Jacksonville. I think that those are the guys I've typically been targeting is uh, mostly just Chenault and Jones at this point. We know that with Trevor Lawrence, like one of his, I guess, calling cards like coming into the league uh, coming out of college was that. I mean, part of his uh, deep ball accuracy, and that's where Marvin Jones can come into play. But even if Urban Meyer wants to call more of a, let's say, conservative offense. even if it is more in the intermediate to short areas of the field, we know that Chenault can wind up being this, that quote-unquote like slasher role considering he plays like more of the interior part. And then Travis Etienne as well. I know that from a best ball perspective, uh, Etienne would be one of those backs that while he might go in the quote-unquote dead zone, you can easily see a situation where he winds up taking over for James Robinson at some point. He winds up taking over for James Robinson at some point. He rides out the two uh, role from a fantasy perspective, and then he can wind up being that uh, that guy in your uh, best ball roster construction that you can pair with any of the guys that you would typically take in the first round, first or second round, to be quite honest. So, I mean, from the pass catcher perspective, yeah, I'm, I'm in on mostly like Chenault, Jones, uh, ETN. Uh, not, I'm not really buying into the Tebow thing. I can't do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. uh, I just, I'm, I'm just not doing it. Uh, but most of the, most of those guys, considering where they go out in drafts and the ADP associated with them, it makes it easier for me to wind up investing in those guys versus Chark, who goes a little bit earlier. Yeah, I've definitely got like a smattering of all those guys, especially Marvin Jones because he's later. Um, but yeah, Chark, I'm getting, you know, he's the 34th receiver off the board. Whether I'm playing the Puppy or the Big Dog or the the Best Ball Mania 2, which is kind of the, the common thing, the $25 entry fee, they're going to give away a million and one dollars in that tournament. Uh, or any of kind of the, the isolated leagues, the, the little self-contained 12-person, 8-person, even, um, you know, $3 leagues, uh, any of those. I'm just kind of sprinkling all these Jaguars in there. Uh, Scott, Sorry, we kind of went off on a best ball tangent here. Do you uh, play any best ball? Oh, I do. I think it's mandatory for anybody who takes fantasy football seriously because what best ball does is it it does a couple of things. One, it just gives us the fun of the. A lot of people would say the most fun of fantasy football is drafting, and they don't enjoy Mm -hmm. the roster maintenance as much. You know, setting in bids and agonizing over start sit decisions. I mean, I, I enjoy all those things in their own pockets, but. What best ball gives you the opportunity to do is to draft a lot and to get familiar with the player pool. And what I've done for, I don't know, four, five, six years, however long I've been focused on doing a lot of best ball teams, is that is, I'm not one of these people who I think are a little, maybe a little bit crazy who draft before the NFL draft. That That's too random for me where you don't know what, <laughs> I, mean, I guess we all saw Najee Harris was going to be on the Steelers, but a lot of these landing spots you can't really anticipate them ahead of time so i don't really start my draft season until the nfl draft starts at that point i jump into best ball i want to understand that dynamics of the player pool i want to understand where talent is clustered what does my roster construction look like if Mm -hmm. i started traditionally with a running back what if i took that early tight end what what if i went with a vanity quarterback what if i played quarterback cheaper I, i just want to try as many different strategies as i can 
and really have a good sense of where I think the buying opportunities and pockets are. And then now that we're in August, this is when I really, when my seasonal drafts start to kick in and I, I start scheduling things. More of them are in the second half of August, but and I'm still going to do some best ball stuff uh, until maybe the middle of, of uh, I still have about two more weeks of best ball. But for the most part, I've gotten my best ball out of the way because I think it's the best way to get the reps in. You want to get better at anything, you do reps. You want to be a better podcaster, do more reps. You want to be in better shape, you'll go to the gym and do more reps. I'm not that I've done any of that, but you know, it's, it's a nice idea in theory. <laughs> so uh, I think best ball is the greatest way to just get, get ready for the season. I, mean, I, I remember I've, I've been in this game long enough that it used to be I'd walk into like my hometown draft and I, I'd never drafted the whole season. It was my first time and I had no idea what market behavior might be like and mm-hmm. we didn't have national ADPs and trends and all this stuff. We have so much data now. You could argue we have too much data now and you have to kind of figure out what works for you and what you should figure out what works for you and what you should ignore. But I think there's no better. And, and also it's sneaky. It's sneaky fun during the season because what I ultimately do is I'll have, I don't know, I've drafted as many as 50 or 60 best ball teams in the season. I think last year I was closer to 20. But what happens like maybe four or five weeks in is I'll look how my best ball team's doing. Okay, that you can just adopt the children that are doing great and you can just orphan the children. Oh, this team lost three important players. I'll just forget about that team. Right. And you can just sit back and enjoy the ride. It's like, oh, wow, I, I actually have Mahomes and Kelsey on the same team. That's pretty fun or whatever it, it may be. So I think it's the best, long-winded answer. I could have been really short with this. The best way to get the reps in and to understand the player pool, I think, is to get engaged in best ball. And and still, I I still think doing that for a few more weeks before maybe your seasonal drafts kick in, I still think it's a great way to get prepared. I actually, I agree with you. I think what's interesting, though, is that it's kind of tough to, like, shift your mindset. You know, I've been drafting best balls. I'm one of the crazy ones that started prior to the NFL draft. And luckily, actually, Underdog separates them, so you can kind of look at your pre your pre NFL draft uh, drafts versus the ones after. You can kind of see craziness of what you drafted. But it's interesting that now we're in, in a position that we have to focus our brain uh, on redraft. You know, as far as creating content, and it's strange because it really is. I mean, even though it's the same players and it's technically the same scoring. You still have to shift your mindset because in best ball, you know, there's a lot of times you're 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 looking for way more upside than you are in redraft. I mean, you're looking for you know the random in week 14 that's going to have, or I'm sorry, round 14 that's going to have a couple spike weeks, you know, to differentiate yourself from from the rest of the teams there. So um, I think it's great. I think one good thing, underdog, I do like that they have all the different price ranges. So you can just do a three dollar league and you can throw a bunch of them, like you said, to get in the reps. You know, you're not putting down. You know, some of the other sites, you know, it's 35 bucks or it's 25 bucks, and that's the minimum. And, you know, for some people, it's a lot of money to just kind of throw out there for a draft that you may, you know, you may not hit on at all. So um, I think it's, you know, I, lo- I love best ball. I think it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad it came into the scene a few years ago or however long it's been there because I think it's a great addition. And like Scott said, it's kind of the most fun part of, of the whole season. Um, for some people, and you just get to do it over and over again all day, and then you don't have to look at that team again until the end if you don't want to. Um, so I do love that part of it. One other thing I love about best ball is that if you think you're a good player, and the whole what makes people good at fantasy is being able to come to conclusions and to see patterns before it's obvious to everybody. Once something, once a job battle or once a, a player's ascension that was out of nowhere, once that's become mainstream and accepted the values all sucked out of it and the adp will correct but if you think you're good enough to see these things ahead of time 
you know, in, in the case of Jen talked about doing best ball drafts before the NFL draft, if you're able to see those patterns before the NFL draft, great. Or if you're able to come up with somebody in May and think, you know, this ADP is out of whack and it's going to get corrected over the next couple of months, but there's a buying opportunity now. If you think you can connect the dots quicker than other people, which I think is what the crux of fantasy is anyway, then best ball is perfect for you because you're going to get opportunities to buy players at prices that are going to vanish. Now, I know some people are, there's at least one person out there listening right now and saying, but, but wait a minute, if I draft a team in May or in June or even now, isn't my team going to get riddled with injuries? And, and you know, it's, it's just by the time the season comes, it's like half my roster is going to be gone or whatever. I get that. That's a part of it. Cer- certainly it's possible to do a springtime best ball draft and then have that team shot, you know, full of injury holes before you even play. But the NFL, the injury thing never goes away. I mean, you, you give a team that's perfectly healthy on opening day, and that team could be shipwrecked by the end of September. They're just Injuries are, it comes with football. Everybody's career is, is one snap away from being over, the season being over, their career being over. I just accept that as a price of doing business. But if you think you're good at connecting dots ahead of time, I think drafting early, there's a great opportunity to take advantage of a market that hasn't been fixed yet. I mean, look at the way the NFL works, where when they put out the lines before every week, Sunday night they put out spreads, and then the pros, the quote unquote pros, attack those numbers. And you know maybe there's a maybe there's a seven point spread that really was was mislabeled. Then it's a five point spread or a four and a half point spread when the public can get their hands on it. So I want to get into the inefficient market and try to take advantage of it before it gets by volume straightened out, and you know, the ADPs are a lot tougher to beat once the information is more obvious and more public. Uh, I, I'm with you, Scott. Uh, you know, like you said, you mentioned people might be concerned their team will get riddled with injuries. But, uh, you know, as you mentioned, everybody's dealing with that. So uh, the flip side of that is your team might be the one that doesn't get riddled with injuries. And if you can or you might even benefit those. from it, right? I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. one, one player's injury usually is an opportunity for somebody else. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that was kind of the idea of the whole zero RB. And I'm not the biggest zero RB proponent, although I, I have much respect to Sean Siegel and I see why it can't move, mm-hmm. can't work. I like, I like if I can, and, and this is kind of a nuanced point, it's, it's not the easiest thing to describe, but I like to set up a roster that would benefit from chaos because every football, team is, every football season is chaotic, and somebody will write mm-hmm. on September 28th or October 15th, this is the strangest season. I felt like you know last year was the strangest season with COVID and all that stuff, and, and we, yes. we, we're still not out of the woods yet completely on that, unfortunately, but every season is going to be chaotic, and hopefully you can set up a roster that can benefit from the chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's excellent best ball content, excellent auction strategy. Uh, Scott, I did want to bring you on. The, the reason I wanted to bring you on so much is I, I picked up my annual copy of Fantasy Football Index, and I thought to myself, uh, you know, Scott has been around for a long time, and I, I know you've contributed to Fantasy Football Index. I know that you uh, were in their expert mock draft this year. Uh, so I, I, I know I've been seeing your name as long as I've been following Fantasy Football, and I've been around since the early 90s. That's when I've been... Uh, uh, you know, doing this. I know Jen's a veteran. I know Chris is a veteran in this. And I just kind of wanted to talk about uh, our reflections of how the industry has changed. Um, you know, I associate that fantasy football index. I still buy the print version. Uh, I, I associate it with camping trips with my family. Like I would go, I'd, I'd pick it up, you know, in the early 90s and I'd read it cover to cover and be fishing with my dad and talk to him about what. Uh, you know, what guys I'm targeting and whether or not, you know, Steve Young is going to be the top pick this year and things like that. And um, I, I just I was hoping, Scott, maybe you might reflect a little bit on what got you into fantasy football uh, from both like a 
playing fantasy football perspective and then also like a contributor perspective? I I share your love, your affection for the fantasy index. I still have um, fantasy indexes going back to mid-1990s. Oh, that's awesome. See, I haven't kept them. I wish I'd have kept them. Yeah, you know, um, I I probably keep more stuff than I do. And a lot of the things that I keep are are kept in such a haphazard way that I don't even know where they are. But I could tell you, if you said to me, hey, I want want something from the 2006 Fantasy Index. Do you have it handy? I know exactly where they are. They're all on the bookshelf arranged (laughs) in... um, in chronological order and that's generally i'm not that organized generally in my life but i for some reason uh, the fantasy index has become something that i've taken great care of and i just want to give a shout out to to ian allen and, and andy mm-hmm. richardson and bruce taylor uh the, the main uh, guys over there uh, writers publishers uh, you know ian's a fantasy hall of famer he's been really great to me uh bruce and andy have been terrific to me uh there's one year where i was actually working as a freelancer i'd already kind of gotten some foothold in the expert poll and they still kept me in the poll which i, I greatly appreciated and they're excellent. I mean, Ian is such a good analyst. Andy's certainly a great player and a great analyst too. So I, a lot of good magazines out there, and I contribute to um, the Lindy's magazine. I've contributed to the Rotowire magazine in the past. They do great work, and and you can decide, you know, which magazine is right for you. I still think the index is as good as anything that comes out. And you know, I, I'm, I'm about maybe yeah. If I reach over to my right, I can I can pick up the magazine right now with uh, with Patrick Mahomes on the cover. I think they do outstanding <laughs> work. And and one of the things that they and by the way. We talk about best ball. I don't know if this is true or not, but I think it's true. What Ian used to do with the um, with the expert poll, and, and then with and now with the, the draft, the mock draft, and the mock auction, is they score. Well, I guess it's more with the draft and the auction. They do an expert draft. They do an expert auction, and they score it. They keep score, and they they do it by best ball format. And I had never heard of the best ball format until I was involved in some of this index stuff. And this is going back 10 or 15 years. It's perfectly reasonable to think. I, I don't know this for a fact. It's sometimes hard to know who coined things or who came up with the ideas on things. Mm-hmm. I think the fantasy index may be the source of where best ball was born, that they came up with the idea first. So uh, if it belongs to them, I'd like to see them get credit for it. If somebody could think of a, a league or a public viable company that came up with it first i'm all for giving them credit let me know who it is but i think it's possible that they probably were the first with that and they i know they were the first with their expert poll you get a bunch of different opinions because ultimately that's what fantasy managers should be doing now is getting different opinions from people that they respect and then synthesizing that i don't say that very well but you know just condensing that to what you think uh, no matter how much you may respect anybody in this room or you know, anybody, you know, you're a big Evan Silva guy, you're a big Matt Harmon guy, whoever it is that you follow, you should listen to them. Ultimately, you should make your own decisions. So when you pick mm-hmm. up a copy of the Fantasy Index, you're getting a bunch of different expert opinions and you can read through them, read through the rationale, and you can adopt the theories that make sense to you and you can discard the ones that don't, which to me is just part of the fantasy experience. The team previews are so well-written. I'm pretty sure Ian Allen does those. They're outstanding. And I guess I'm old enough. I mean, I know we all live through our phones and I'm tethered to my phone like most people are, but there's still something to be said for a magazine. There's still something to be said for having a lunch in an empty restaurant at 3.30 in the afternoon and, and having a magazine or a newspaper with me. I, I grew up that way. I used to be a newspaper writer. So to me, there's still a romanticism of a magazine and you turn the world off, you turn the phone off and you just uh, it's just you and your own thoughts and what's going on in football. I, to me, that's still a great way to spend an afternoon. Uh, my my home league uh, that I've been in since since the early '90s. Um, I still 
after I draft, even though I, I'm in this and I'm creating content constantly and I'm, and I'm, right. I'm, I'm very, very up to date on things. I still, when I finish my draft, the first thing I do is I go and I take my little sheet of paper because we do it in person on paper and I, and I go to my fantasy football index and I read the blurb on every player I drafted. Right. <laughs> I still do that. It's fine. I've been doing that since I was a kid. Uh, Jen, I, I just wanted kind of your reflections on how you got into fantasy sports. Um, you know, when, when you first started playing and kind of reflections on your memories. Yeah, well, actually, first of all, I am a fantasy football index person as well. I will admit, though, I haven't bought it in a while. Um, but in the early days, I, I definitely did. Uh, so my actual first league was in 1996. I had a friend of mine from college who uh, asked me to just split a team with him. You know, I didn't really know, know much about it. I mean, I've been an NFL fan my entire life. So, you know, he and he knew that. We used to watch games together. So, yeah, I just, he asked me to split a team with him. I showed up at the draft. At, you know, I remember, still remember we got the first pick. We took Ricky Waters. And we shared that team, you know, that season. And then I was, of course, hooked and had my own team, you know, every year after that. But, yeah, so this will be year 25 for me, uh, which is pretty crazy, you know, when you think about it, it's a quarter century of playing fantasy football. I always laugh on Twitter and people are like, oh, I've been playing since, you know, whatever. And, you know, it just makes me laugh. People are like, oh, I'm six years in. Because um, it's, a, you know, as we all know, it's such a different world than it used to be. I mean, with, yeah, you know, just the advent of, you know, the internet, <laughs> you know, let alone everything else. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, I, and I, I will say I, I'm kind of a, as Chris called me, the old woman yelling at clouds. Mm -hmm. I am that for certain things. Um, but when it comes to football, I kind of enjoy I enjoy having all the data. I enjoy having all the stats. I enjoy mm -hmm. what's at our fingertips now. I mean, there is something to be said. It was cool. Then we had to kind of, you know, wait, believe it or not, wait till Monday to look up the stats in the paper. Yeah. I mean, that's just score by unfathomable. hand. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yep. people, that's unfathomable right now, right? I mean, people, you, I mean, the minute someone catches a pass, you have it, you know? So, <laughs> I mean, we had to, you know, wait. So I do like the advent of all the new stuff. I think it's interesting. Plus, all the new formats and all of that makes it, you know, I love the evolution of it in that way. I think it's great. And I, and I love the way, you know, the whole, I mean, yeah, I mean, Twitter, as we all know, revolutionized it too. I mean, it's a whole different world now. We can all communicate and there's so much more content and so much more out there. You know, like there was maybe there was the Fantasy Football Index and then, you know, there was a couple other magazines out there that people were putting out, but that was it. So now it's, you know, there's almost too much information, but it's still pretty cool. <laughs> I'm old enough to remember that if you just read the, the USA Today, during mm -hmm. whether it be during spring training for your fantasy baseball draft or in the summer for your fantasy football draft, you would get intel that other people didn't have. I remember I was one of the I was early to being online. I had a, a internet service called Prodigy, which again I'm, I'm sure like ninety percent <laughs> of your listeners have no idea what Prodigy is, but it was an online service, and I got to be friends with people in in different cities on on message boards. And a, a friend of mine named Dan Williamson, who's who's in the fantasy space now, he does some great dynasty work and is a really sharp player. I got friendly with him in the late 90s. And the year Randy Moss was a rookie, and remember, this is back when most teams, a base offense was two wide receivers. The idea of having three wide receivers seemed like overkill. When's everybody going to play? And he told <laughs> yeah. me, he said, look, and we all look, we all knew Randy Moss was a talent. He had this great highlight you know, film coming out of Marshall, but still he went kind of late in the first round. And, and that's back when nobody wanted to touch rookie receivers generally. We, we wanted to see them get their feet wet for a couple of years. And he said, look, they just had a scrimmage and Randy Moss scored eight touchdowns. He said, you're going to want Randy Moss. They're going to find a way to get this guy in the field. And at the time, he was going in the middle, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth round. Nobody was 
was going after Moss. He was somebody that if you prioritized him, you could have conceivably had him on every one of teams that you drafted. The information edge, just again, reading the USA Today was an information advantage. Nobody has that now. If there's anybody in your team who's not on Twitter, they're certainly at a, at a tactical disadvantage. And I'm so glad Jen brought up Ricky Waters because <laughs> one thing that's changed is that I, I think back back in the 90s, a lot of people would have been like, oh, Jerome Bettis is such a better player than Ricky Waters. He, he's won a rushing title and all this stuff. Uh-huh. Ricky Waters, combination back, runs the ball, catches the ball, doesn't come off the field. His first nine seasons, he only played 10 seasons in the NFL. He was hurt his 10th year and, and only played five games. The first nine seasons, he was running back eight, four, six, five, three, nine, seven, nine, and nine. Wow. Ricky Waters was a stud. And again, <laughs> run the ball, catch the ball, touchdown guy. I know people remember, There's, I guess he had one famous fumble that people remember. He, he was a little bit of a mercurial guy at times. I think he's got a borderline Hall of Fame case. I've always made the point that the dual threat Receive, running receiving backs are often underrated. I know Edgerton James eventually did get in the Hall of Fame, so it's kind of silly to call him underrated now. But Tiki Barber maybe should be in the Hall of Fame. I know a lot of people don't like Tiki Barber. I don't think he'll never get in. But I think he's got a case to be in. I think Ricky Waters has a case to be in. I don't know if he'll ever get in. But uh, and, and the year that Jen picked him in 1996 was his best fantasy season. He was running back three that year and the overall number five player, according to the, the Pro Football Reference page. So... It sounds like you got Waters right smack dab in the middle of his productivity. And and back then, if you understood that running, you know, receiving, running back, we all know this now. We want guys who are bell cows who don't come off the field. But I felt like a guy like Ricky Waters back in the 90s was a little, not crazy underrated, but maybe went four, five, six picks later than he should have in a lot of leagues because people didn't understand how, how much better he was than maybe somebody like Jerome Bettis. And I know in Philly, like, he got that alligator arms moniker, right. fair or not. Right. But that's what they used to say about him, uh, which is – yeah, and did it for three different franchises. Like, evolved his career, changed it. He was the bridge running back to Sean Alexander in Seattle. Just really interesting. Um, I So, I, Scott, we talked about different league participation, uh, different leagues that we're in. I'm sure you're invited into a million leagues and formats every year. Uh I mentioned I've got a home league. I still do on paper. And uh, I was wondering, do you have any like long running leagues you're particularly partial to or any favorite league types with so many options out there? Yeah, I'm a big super flex guy. The leagues that I run are usually super flex. And we, we like to start a lot of players because I, I like a team. I like the idea that a team that has a bunch of B or B plus players can compete with a team that maybe has two or three A's and then a bunch of the, you know, the stars and scrubs teams. I, I've been in fantasy leagues way back where we only started seven or eight guys. That's not interesting to me. I want to start 13 players, 14 players, 16 players. Get as many flexes as you can. My friend Mark Stopa ran an industry league for a while, a big money industry league, which was fun to compete in, which was super flex with also, also two tight end starters and three wide receiver starters, two flex. You know, I think two flexes where one of them could be a quarterback. So every team would be starting somebody. It's like, why am, you know, it's ugly that I'm starting this player, but I need to. And but that's okay if everybody's in that same boat. It's impossible to have you know fourteen or sixteen guys you feel great about every week. And what to me that turns into is one: the impact of any outlier performance is mitigated. It's not like oh I, I had this guy go crazy, I definitely won. Oh my best player got hurt in the first quarter, I definitely lost. I remember one year I had Peyton Manning threw seven touchdowns on opening day. I didn't win my game because we started oh. so many guys, and you know, my opponent made up the difference in other areas. So I like leagues that go super flex. I like leagues that have a lot of starters. I like leagues that actually don't have large bench spaces because I, I think making choices and having a lot of data points is what brings out the the fun in fantasy. So that's part of it too. And I also like to have, 
a couple of teams where I buddy up with people. I, I think you need, it's not easy always to find the right manager, partner. But if you have somebody who you mutually respect, who has a general worldview that's the same as you, I think there's a big advantage to, to doubling up management. You, you get extra coverage if, if news breaks, if you're in a league where there's a first come, first serve pickup window during the week. Maybe I'm unavailable, but my partner can pick it up. My colleague at, at Yahoo, Frank Schwab, and I, for the last few years, we've co-owned, uh, co-managed, I should say, baseball teams, football teams. And it's just half the fun is just talking about it with them. If something good happens, I have somebody who's happy with me. If something bad happens, I have somebody to commiserate with. And so I'm a big believer in, in trying to, I, I like leagues that play super flex. I like leagues that start a lot of players. And I also think that it's fun to have, I, I, there's still going to be plenty of teams I run by myself. And I'm strong enough of opinion and will that you know, maybe I'm not meant to be a partner with every one of my teams. But um, <laughs> I've had some, a lot of luck with Frank. Um, my friend Scott Gleason and I have run a baseball team together where he's the he's a lawyer. He loves to trade. He loves to haggle. I'm more of the player evaluation guy. And then we come to a lot of decisions mutually. And um, if you find the right partner, I actually think it's a cheat code for fantasy. Nice. I, I've act, I've admittedly done very few partner things. Um, Chris, I, I wanted to real quick, I know you've got a giveaway you want to go to. I wanted to hear real quick if you have any long-running leagues that you're partial to. Um, and then, like I said, if, if you'd talk about the giveaway coming up as well. Oh, sure. And actually, uh, one of my longest leagues, I think we're going on year 11 or 12, is actually how I got into playing fantasy football because I had – I never grew up in a in a like in a football town, a military family, so that really wasn't too much of an option for us. And but I actually got into fantasy football through uh, actually uh, esports and like World of Warcraft, Starcraft, and things of that nature. And uh, one of the guys that we used to play video games with all the time uh, into the you know really late hours uh, uh, or I guess early hours in the morning uh, suggested that we start a fantasy football league. And this was back in gosh like when was this like two thousand and eight two thousand nine like somewhere in there. And uh, it's just completely uh, it's continued to go on from there despite the fact that all of us are older, all of us have kids now, and just the idea of playing a video game that late into the evening almost makes me want to pass out. Uh, but it's <laughs> it, it but it's that part of um I guess being a part of that that group and each year it's just something that we get to look forward to and we just know it's almost like a way for us to set our internal calendars because we know that once our uh, group uh, the text message thread starts to you know be a little bit more frequent between us we know it's time to get the league started back up again and uh, you know seeing and talking to each other like through zoom or whatever and the you know few games that we might be able to play together it's it's that sort of thing that makes it exciting for us to look forward to each year and it's less about the strategy for that to that particular league since most of those guys are casual but I still get the strategy and the in-depth analysis or the high stakes portion of it and some of my other leagues but at least that's at least the 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 fun part of fantasy football that I think once we really dive deep into the weeds like we do as analysts, we kind of uh, we lose out on some of that aspect of yeah. it, to be quite honest. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I absolutely agree. I, I think it's easy to kind of we don't see the forest through the trees. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so before we get on out of here, uh, the one thing that I want to do for a giveaway. So I have five Best Ball Mania tickets to give away to some lucky uh, some lucky person that might happen to do this or participate in this. Uh, Scott, real quick question for you, uh, my good sir. Uh, so you've known TJ, like TJ Hernandez for quite a few years. Is that correct? That's right. 
All right. Uh, so one of the things about TJ that you happen to know is, uh, do you happen to know like what beer he hates the most? I do. He can't stand IPA. In fact, I had him on the Yahoo Fantasy Football forecast the other day, and I was trying to, to figure out if I could. I was going to ask us both to come up with a hot take, so a controversial <laughs> hot take. And my controversial hot take was going to be that I'm watching Better Call Saul, and I think it's better than Breaking Bad, which I'm going to get crushed for. Oh, I agree. Um, but good, good. I'm glad I'm in a safe space here. And, and I was going to say, TJ, is there any kind of beer that, that maybe just you know doesn't hit your taste buds that you, you think people are overrating? And so he could go off on, uh, you know, sometimes my producers don't like it when I, I, I love to go off topic. I love, um, when I had my fantasy baseball podcast, we used to do silly drafts at the end. And we, we draft, you know, best sandwiches, best months of the year, you know, stuff that had nothing to do with yeah. fantasy. That's always my favorite part of the shows. I do a lot of that with, with Mike on the breakfast table. We had a, a Lennon McCartney argument. Um, we had a Rolling Stones argument recently, so we're always trying to turn that into a rock report. But uh, yeah, TJ's great, and I think his call. On, look, I'm not a beer connoisseur, so I, you know, maybe I, my opinion doesn't matter. I, I don't know a lot about beer. I just kind of drink pretty generic beers. But uh, IPA does not taste good to me. I think it's bitter, and I think it's gross. And I, I think TJ's <laughs> right on with that. <laughs> I, I'm not going to um, I say I'm not going to argue. I mean, I, I am a home brewer, so I've, I've definitely gone back and forth with TJ about about this a number of times. Uh, but to make it fun, since I do have one hundred and twenty five dollars to wind up giving away to, to like this lucky person, this is what we're going to do here. So if you want a chance at five best ball mania tickets, uh, first thing you need to do is make sure that you're following TJ Hernandez on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. And second, I want you to start considering he's probably not going to hear this part of the this episode, so he won't know where this is coming from. I want you to send videos of you, of you drinking an IPA to him. This is what I need you to do. Drink an IPA, send it to him. He will have absolutely no idea what is going on. The best video will wind up getting $125 or five Best Ball Mania tickets from me. Uh, both uh, myself or like myself and my co-host here tonight so jen and brandon will be judging these videos over the next week or so and by the next time that uh brandon and i have a show together which will be within the next week we'll be talking to the wonderful evan silva here within the next uh, couple of days but by that episode we will announce who the winner is and you will be granted five well, with best friends, with friends like you who needs yeah, exactly. nice, poll, <laughs> nice poll with silva by the way evan silva is as good as anybody in this industry so i'll, I'll definitely look forward to that show but uh yeah i guess i'm gonna have to watch the um i'll be i'll be mon- i'll get my popcorn ready and monitor the tj hernandez feed and see how he handles this he's gonna be so annoyed by it oh yeah because because awesome. he's gonna have no idea where this is coming from because all he's gonna know is a bunch of people are gonna be tagging him with videos of them drinking ipas and i'm gonna love every minute of it so yeah so as soon as you hear this get to it find your favorite ipa take a video of you doing it tag tj in it and then we're gonna watch the fireworks afterwards so i appreciate everybody Chris, you're amazing. That's fantastic. That's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I can't wait to see these videos. Uh, Scott, uh, we won't take up any more of your time. We've gone a little long, uh, but this is, was a lot of fun. Uh, everyone be sure to follow Scott on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski. Check out all his amazing stuff at Yahoo Sports. Go listen to the Yahoo Fantasy Football forecast. Uh, Scott, thank you so much again for joining us today. Any last thoughts or final, I'm sorry, any final thoughts or last plugs before we go? Yeah, just thanks for having me. Uh, again, the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast, I'm one of the regular hosts of that. And um, the one thing I do do off the Yahoo Network is the Breakfast Table Podcast with Michael Salfino. And much love to all the work you guys are doing at 444. It's a great site. There's so many smart people working on it. And it's a site I, I certainly put a lot of credence into and I consider when I formulate 
my own opinion. So it was great to talk to you and thanks for having me. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate that. Jen, always a pleasure. Any final thoughts before we go? No, I'm good. Um, I'm, I'm happy to have met Scott uh, verbally here and, and enjoyed everything he said. I think it was awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, plugging my stuff, you guys all know where I am. Um, I'm at 444 exclusively at the moment, all 444 stuff. Um, we have a ton, a ton. I think we have the most content we've ever had before July and coming up in August. So uh, if you don't have a subscription, you should get one. Or you can go to Underdog, actually, and put in your 10 bucks, and you can get a free one. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we have a ton, and we have tons of new tools and all, you know, the rankings and just everything. We have tons of stuff going on right now. Yeah, check out Jen's new Perfect Draft article just dropped today. Um, well, I guess it'll be yesterday by the time this posts. But, yeah, just dropped <laughs> today. Uh, drafting fourth. Uh, hear about going after those top tight ends and going running back in the first round. Uh, listeners, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, at Two Guys Brandon, at The Monday Mommy, and at Chris Allen FFWX. Thank you so much for listening, and have a good day. <laughs>